Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. <laughs> Hey everyone, today's guest is Stefan Egerton, guitarist for the Fort Collins, Colorado punk rock band, The Descendants. Together we break down the writing, recording, mixing, and inspiration behind Everything Sucks, taken from their 1996 comeback album of the same name. Unbeknownst to me, Everything Sucks was Stefan's first full musical composition, written solely by himself, that he brought to the band. At 1 minute and 26 seconds long, Stefan kind of figured it was just another album track, or that the song may not even make the album. Not only did it make it onto the record, the album was called Everything Sucks, and it was chosen as the first song on the record. We talked about the events that led up to singer Milo Ackerman rejoining the group just prior to writing the album, the demo version of the song, how Brett Gurowitz and Epitaph Records came on board, as well as Andy Wallace, who mixed the album. As a fan, I was instantly hooked by the song and the album. And still, as a fan, I was stoked to talk to Stefan about the song and this whole time period. So sit back, relax, and let's go for all. This is a good one. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Well, hey, Stefan, how's it going? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Chris? I'm <laughs> doing great. This is this is awesome for me. Uh, this podcast is probably the greatest thing ever because, uh, you know, I've known you for about 25 years now. And uh, how many times have I seen you at festivals? And, and uh, you know, I, I know your family. And I'm not going to sit down with my friend and ask them the questions I want to ask you here. But I'm still a fan. I'm still a fan. And I have a lot here that I want to talk about. So I'm super excited that, that you, you joined us today. I'm glad to be here, and it's uh, this is a this 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 should prove to be kind of at least a funny podcast for you know those who are interested <laughs> in this kind of a thing. This particular song we're discussing has you know it has at least some points of interest. Let's put it that way. Well, that's awesome. You're you're the fourth uh, person from the All Descendants family uh, here with us. We had Bill, Milo, I had Chad on the show, so I'm super excited uh, that you're here. And you know, I want to give the listeners a little bit uh, of a backstory here with you guys. You know, you're the fourth album by Descendants. All in 1987 is when you joined uh, you and Carl and then that was followed by a couple of live albums after you guys I guess had taken a hiatus broke up whatever you want to say 1987's Liveage and 1989's Hallraker and then 
the three of you, Bill, yourself, and, and Carl, splintered off into the band All for 1988's All Royce Says. You guys released five more records after that, with 1995's Pummel being your first and only major label album for Interscope. And I wanted to ask, from what I remember, you guys took your advance money from that, and that's when you built the Blasting Room. Is that correct? That was a, a thing that, you know, I think a lot of bands had sort of done that, but that was becoming kind of, you know, labels were beginning to frown upon that. But Bill and I had enough history with, you know, recording records that I think they felt like okay well yeah that kind of makes sense with these guys because they self-produce anyway and so so yeah that's exactly what we did we got our advance um and we built a, a studio so we could record records for us and others in fact we even mixed your record there <laughs> and we have <laughs> yes. borders and boundaries there so yeah that's exactly what happened that's right well no it's it's so cool because it, it, i can't state it enough what my band learned from you guys we just would just watch you and just soak it all in and and you were just kind of doing everything right here you took that advance money you sunk it in uh, into your own studio because by that point you and bill had done a lot of records not just with uh, descendants and all but you had produced for big drill car doughboys and it's funny going back to around percolator and then breaking things with all uh, and then getting into the interscope record pummel i just saw this progression the sonics were just getting better every album you guys were making and by the time you did everything sucks you guys were dialed well and and you know with that one we definitely had help because andy wallace mixed that one which is you know yes. that guy is i mean he's I think the the old adage is he's forgotten more than I'll ever know about recording. <laughs> <laughs> that's I'd say that's totally true. He was absolutely brilliant to work with, and and that that was a huge part of how it it was not only you know school time for Bill and I. We learned just an, an immense amount from him during that, but just just fun for us because we were huge fans of work he'd done and so that was a big deal for us oh too. yeah andy wallace it's just ugh, think of the stuff that he's done he mixed Nevermind. he's done slayer he's he's done yeah. uh, slayer madonna like the, you know he, he he can he can mix <laughs> anything because he's an inherently musical person he's just kind of got that he's just amazing you know yeah i'm glad you brought him up i have him uh, here in my notes and i want i want to get to a little bit more with him in a bit but you know, you guys, <laughs> punk bands, I don't know, were the Ramones making money in the 80s? Maybe they were, but there weren't many punk bands making money back then, you know? And here you guys were, the, that's the other thing my band learned is the perseverance, the, the, the slogan of going for all. You know, you guys were just out there living out of a van and, and, and doing it. And you guys were the blueprint for the later acts like my, you know, my band that came along. Like Carl and I sort of, you know, we we had done little bits of small, you know, kind of van touring with our band Massacre Guys from Salt Lake, where, where we grew up. Yeah. And, you know, we had done some of that, but everything that we knew about that world came from watching Black Flag, TSOL, bands, Husker Du, bands like that that would come through and we would sometimes even promote the shows ourselves in Salt Lake. So we had a little bit of insight into how that, you know, how that thing worked. Now, getting to do it full time in Descendants, obviously that was massive for Carl and I, but we lived in a very meager way, but we were very practical with what little money we could come by. <laughs> so yeah. in the beginning, yeah. it was just like, okay, we just tour around and do shows and keep the tank full. And that's about all we do, get home, pay the rent, we're broke again, we go back out. Well, but, you know, as things improved, we tried to be smart with what little money we could kind of come up with. And so that's exactly what happened. You remember the trucks we built, you know, that. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I was going to get to that. Stuff. We were, <laughs> yeah. you know, we would, 
you know, we would, we would get like a, a 20 foot box truck and convert it to something that, you know, we could drive ourselves. So we weren't spending money in lavish ways. We were spending it in ways that were practical and kept us afloat, even though we were a very small band. We didn't have, uh, we very briefly had managers, but not much of that. We just kind of, it just, it just made more sense for us to do what we could, each of us as individuals and contribute to that and use our money as wisely as we could. And, and ultimately that did sort of pay dividends, if you will, in that, in that we built up to a place where we could launch the blasting room. And that was really a huge step forward for us in, in how we were able to, you know, have yet more control over, over how our recording sounded, um, you know, and be able to offer that as a practical thing for other bands that, that, you know, like to work with us too. So it was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you can take us back to around nine, 1995, because, you know, Pummel came out and, you know, from basically 87, when you joined Descendants throughout the whole years with all up till 95, as you said, it was, it was record tour, record tour, pay some rent, go back out. It was just this cycle. I know what you guys were doing. And at what point was it like, okay, there, there's talk of, of, of getting Milo back. What set this in motion? You know, how did Epitaph Records happen? Did Brett hear the demos that you did? And how, how'd that part transpire? Because you guys pretty much toured the Pummel record right up until you did Everything Sucks. Totally. And, and we were, it was interesting. So we had, we had demoed about half of the songs that ended up being on Everything Sucks with Chad already. Yes. And you know, we, we signed in 95 with, uh, with Interscope and almost immediately our A&R guy kind of bailed and just disappeared from, from the label and from the music scene in general. And so we were sort of, you know, a band without an A&R guy at a major label is kind of in a, in a tough position because somebody else has to take it up and they, they, they weren't invested in you the way the person that, you know, brought you to the label in the first place would be. So, you know, we didn't have a, a strong champion at Interscope. We sent those demos to Interscope and they didn't really dig them that much, you know. And so mm -hmm. the decision was made for us to part ways. Well, so that, you know, and, and as you may may have handled had happened in your experience, that takes a while. This isn't just like, okay, see you guys later and hang up the phone <laughs> yeah. and you're done. It doesn't go like sure. that. So, you know, contractual stuff, and there's all this stuff to work out. So we had this batch of songs that was done. And right about that time, Milo finished his PhD. And in a conversation, you know, he contacted Bill and said, you know, I've got some time right now. We could, before I need to like dive into my work life, we could do a, a record and do, do maybe some shows. And so that was kind of what happened. We found ourselves without a label with Milo interested in doing something so that uh, we, we, you know, talk to Brett, longtime friend, of course, that was, you know, he was like, well, yeah, okay, fine. Like, yeah. <laughs> let's, do, let's do that. I mean, I don't think we even had to send him any songs. I'm sure we did, but I mean, I don't think he, you know, I think he would have been like, yeah, okay, this is pretty obviously going to be a good fit. So there was actually a phone conversation that I witnessed from one side where Chad and Milo got on the phone and they picked off each guy picked off songs they were going to keep for, you know, well, I'll take this one. I'll take this one. And, <laughs> and then Milo brought songs and then, and then there were a couple of more. And so that was kind of what happened there was, you know, that everything sucks year 97. It was just a one year blitzkrieg. Oh yeah. 
you know, warp tour. We went out with you. We went out with all kinds of, you know, we did just, we did laps. We just toured like, in, in, like madmen, you know, and that, yeah, that was kind of how that all played out. Pretty, pretty funny. To me, it's incredible because, and I, and I had talked to Milo about this when he was on, you know, you guys were just <laughs> road dogging it, slogging it out year after year, not making any money. And then all of a sudden, did you ever think in your wildest, wildest dreams that those songs and all that work, all that groundwork you did years ago was going to turn into something like that? Everything sucks to her. Every night was packed. There's legions of fans that unfortunately weren't there for all, you know, because yeah. it didn't have the descendants name. But, you know, there it, it didn't have that. And, and that has always been a factor, as, as we all know, that is and sure. all is a complicated band. You know, there, there, there's that. But there's also just some peculiar timing because, you know, right around 95, somewhere, somewhere around 95 or so, I remember we played a show with Bad Religion and Green Day. Green Day played before all, ridiculous mm -hmm. as that would sound. But they, at that time, were blowing up on the radio. The show, you know, was already set up the way it was. And so it just went down the way it did. But they were yeah. just starting to blow up on the radio. So all of a sudden, punk rock is just is finally hitting, you know, the radio. And understand that bands from my era, we there was no expectation of even the remotest success for our bands. Not, not yeah. that kind of success. I mean, <laughs> right. success in our kind of band was just that you could do it at all and not put a roof on a house instead, you know, or whatever, like, <laughs> you know, like that you, that, that was as good as it got. And you had no expectations of it really being a living other than a very, very kind of a small one, you know, and, and you were fine with that. We fuck, I wasn't complaining. I was stoked. So sure. Um, you know, I was perfectly happy with how it was, but anyway, the, the th things transpired the way they did green day hit offspring hit. And all of a sudden this new bunch of people, this new young group of people are, who are discovering punk rock are looking into these bands and they're tracing the history of punk rock music. And of course, if you like melodic punk rock somewhere along there, you're going to stumble upon descendants in your, in your journey. And right. So I look at it like this. There's the there's the 1982, you know, the, when Milo Goes to College came out. And of course, Carl and I weren't in the band. We were massive fans of that record, ridiculous That's fans of so that. So cool. So cool. So there's a group of people that loved the band from back then. And then maybe in a way, Descendants All kind of capped that that record maybe kind of brought a few new people into it because it was a different kind of a record. I don't know. I that's hard yeah. to say. But but without a doubt. We had a whole new thing starting at Everything Sucks. You know, it was like a, a whole new group of, of interested young people discovering our band. And right when punk rock was blowing up and huge. So while, you know, we certainly were never going to, you know, garner the success of, a, of some massive band like Green Day. That wasn't going to happen. But certainly we got to go along for the ride while a lot of other bands were being discovered. And, mm -hmm. and so it gave us a fan base. And so it's funny when we go out and play shows now as a, you know, as a senior band, if you will, as a, <laughs> uh, a legacy band, I've heard yes, it's called legacy band, a legacy band as a, as a legacy band out there, as opposed to having, you know, one period of known, and then, you know, maybe some trickle on like new people discovering you, we kind of have two. 
<laughs> groups of, yeah. of distinct people and then you know whoever they may turn on to the music so you know we still see teenagers at our shows that are you know who knows how the hell they're finding this music but but it is happening still and so you know that's another interesting feature of of everything sucks was that it you know the band could have for, for a certain number of our fans the band starts there not in not in 82 with Milo Scott Scholars I, or whatever yeah what, right probably you right or well you'd have known us before that but you know what I mean like like not not just after you just a little bit younger than you everything sucks is where you begin <laughs> if right you like but, to send I'll, it. but I'll tell you everything sucks made me the <laughs> god I hate to have to pick but it made me more of a Descendants fan I was an all guy you guys were my uh, band you know, that was that was my thing. I, I saw you guys play. I, I never saw Descendants play. I was too young in the 80s. You know, I saw all play. I don't know how that's many right, That's my wife to a T. She was in, she, she loved Descendants. She had the records, I, but she was an all fan. <laughs> she was an all fan. And then, of course, she was more than happy with what's happened since, uh, you know, but but that's exactly the same thing timing wise you know a certain age you know yeah. that's, that's and, exactly true and that's of course a much smaller group of people because all uh never <laughs> you know we are some shows were a lot smaller <laughs> no question. yeah yeah you have a niche audience <laughs> absolutely absolutely yeah and it and, and it, it, it you know for no other reason than just a, a different name and a different singer but it's the same core three people when i heard everything sucks for the first time Less Than Jake was on tour in New York, uh, staying on some kid's floor, and he had an advanced cassette of it, and I lost my mind. I couldn't believe what this record sounded like, which you brought up Andy Wallace before, Stefan. Wh what was he costing a mix back then? Probably fifteen hundred, two grand a oh, mix? Oh, God. I, you know, he... Or more? more and and, and how, did more. how did Brett at Epitaph... I mean, obviously, he had made some money with Offspring, and and, uh, and Rancid was, was blowing up at that time, but he must have had a lot of faith this project was going to do well. Well, and and he also... He, he did, and he also had a good relationship with Andy Wallace because they had already worked together... And I think what he did is, is I think he went to Andy and went, I have this band. They're huge fans of what you do. They would love to work with you, but they, you know, they, they don't have the kind of budget that you're used to. Do you have like a week, you know, let's blow this thing out fast. It's simple music. It's not, it's not, you know, laden with layering and, you know, complication. It's very straightforward music. And so we mixed it in like five days. I mean, which is short by, you know, and of course, you know, those, those guys can mix fast. They can mix yeah. a record, you know, but uh, that isn't to say he wasn't thorough. He was a, uh, insanely thorough, but, but it was, it was a fairly quick mix and, and, you know, we didn't have to pay what a lot of bands paid because we didn't take up that much time and our thing sure. was simple. We just hauled ass through it and it was done quickly, but you know, his, his musical instincts are good. So, you know, it, it right. just kind of worked. He knew how to make the thing work right, right off the bat. It was great. I seem to remember either you or Bill or both of you telling me that you kind of were ghosting him during those sessions, like looking over his shoulder, trying to see what he was doing. Is that right? You know, a little bit, but, but to be fair as responsible, let's say producer type of people, our, our best utility was to not do that was to stay away. We couldn't, you know, we couldn't help, but get in there and kind of watch once in a while and get the lay of the land and see what he's doing. Yeah. And, you know, we, we of course learned an immense amount and he was a guy who was very free with his, with his knowledge. He was, you know, Hey, what, you know, do you got preference on a kick drum mic? Yeah. I like to use it. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, he wasn't, he, he was, he'll tell you exactly what he did. He, he's right. He, he knows full well that even if he tells you every detail, it still won't sound the same either way. 
And he's right. You know, it just doesn't work like that. He does his thing his way. He hears what he hears. He mixes in a very strange way. He mixes so quietly, you can barely hear it. It's fucking wild. It's crazy. Well, then he'll crank it up for a minute and go, how's the low end? Oh, low end's good. Turn it back down to almost nothing and then keep mixing. And I think, you know, we did learn tons of stuff from just that, you know, brief little five days, seven days, whatever it was. Yeah. And you jogged a memory a moment ago. That's right. He had uh, mixed Bad Religion's record, Stranger Than Fiction. So that's how that relationship happened with Brett. And uh, that's that, that's so cool. Everything Sucks was recorded June, July of 96, released September 24th, 1996. And, you know, Stefan, during this time period, you know, you're way more prolific as a writer now. This was your only sole credit of writing on this record. It ended up being the first track on the album. And just want to know, why was the record Everything Sucks spelled S-U-C-K-S, but the song S-U-X? Was there a reason? Uh, no, there was no, there was no reason. Maybe just to sort of, maybe for the hell of it, you know, uh, maybe we just like to spell <laughs> shit wrong. Like we spelled our name wrong, you know, descendants isn't spelled with an E, you know? Right, or, right. But yeah, I think it's just, I think we were just kind of goofing off, but, but the, you know, the funny thing about that is that it it's, and maybe I've told you this before, everything sucks is the first song I ever wrote. What? Yeah. I did not know that. My history is that I had written a lot of music for the band not but you know but i've always you know never never as many songs per record as the rest of the guys and right i've i have you know i'm not a, a particularly well-read person or you know i don't have a great turn of phrase or anything like that so you did write strip bar uh yeah that was that was you know what that you know how that happened is, is that and it's not a true story by the way that is not a true story what happened is that scott reynolds is you know i was bitching one night when we were all talking he, he's like you know what you should do write a song about a strip bar and i said okay and i blurted that out and everyone started laughing and so we made a song out of it yeah eight seconds long that's very all that's very all one, two, three, four. i went to the strip bar tried to grab her by the world but a big guy beat me up and threw me out the back door of the strip bar so i had written you know music and and everybody had you know contributed lyrics and worked with me on that part but i had never written lyrics myself. And so when we were working on that record, really it wasn't because it was a Descendants record, but it was just that on our next record, I don't care what the fuck it is. I'm writing a complete song and bringing it to the band with lyrics. That's awesome. And so that is what everything sucks is. I wrote the, I wrote the music, you know, the music just, it was just kind of riffs that I worked out and, and, and then I would play it over and over again. And eventually that everything sucks. Maybe I had said everything sucks be at, at some point, like just as a phrase, because like I was having a shitty day. Like, yeah. so, you know, everything sucks. And so the everything sucks today thing, it sort of maybe popped out at some point while I was just jamming the riff. And that was the nexus of the thing. Everything sucks today was the, you know, and, and then I just built the rest of it around that. And it's funny because it you know, if if you read stories about the Beatles, and of course, uh, anything you know to do with the Beatles is what I'm reading about, probably. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, you know that they were that kind of thing happened all the time in that band. Somebody, you know, they would hear somebody say something, and they would write a song. Eight days a week. That's you know, hard days night is something Ringo just spouted out at some point is what I've always heard, and then they wrote the song around that. That was commonplace for their band. So. 
that's sort of what this was. And I don't, I didn't know that, that people wrote in that way back then. It just happened. It kind of popped out of my mouth while I was jamming along and trying to sort of hum along and see if I could figure out, you know, melodies or some, some kind of a thing I could sing over this music I'd written. And, and that came out. Well, then the rest of it sort of wrote itself and the lyrics are really stupid. You know, they're, they're not, you know, there's, there's no fucking brain power going on in this. This was just, you know, just spouting stuff off, but some of it was really based in reality. I tried to go, okay, well, like what does suck? You know, what, what does suck? And a lot of what you hear in there is actually based on something real. Yeah. The tax man came and took my money. That's, that was, you know, I, I had spent, you know, I had had a little bit of money. I'd spent it all. And then I got this huge tax bill because I didn't know what a 1099 was. And so yeah. the tax man, now all my other bills are going to be late, which was true. My bills were piling up on me right then because I had never, you know, I had, I, I didn't save anything for taxes. I didn't even know what taxes were. I'd been living on fucking five bucks a day for like years, you know? So you know, that was real. And the, the line, the horse, horse goat told me lies this morning. When I was a kid, my mom would get the newspaper and every day there was that little kind of a horoscope thing. And it would have, yeah. you know, your, your, have your, your sign. And, and it would have like either a smiley face or an indifferent face or a frowny face. And the, the horoscope told me lies this morning is more like if you had looked at it and it said you had a happy face, but it ended up sucking your day ended up turning <laughs> to shit. It, it was just, you know, like really basic crude little ideas like that. But, um, and Carl kind of helped me. I think he even contributed one of the lines in it somewhere. And so it just sort of fell together in this goofy, stupid way. And I chose to take it in a, in a weird direction, which is that in our band, any any of us will bring songs in, I'm not going to say varying states of completion, but in varying states of how much detail we have already amassed for the song in our head. So to give contrast to that, the song She's My Ex by, by Bill, that song, he wrote every single stroke of the guitar in that. He, he knew exactly what he wanted. Clean sheets yeah. is kind of that way too. Other ones, he might be like, nah, I'm kind of, you know, you can kind of find your own thing here. This is cool. But on a lot of songs, it's very rigid, right? And then other ones, it's pretty loosey-goosey. And Carl is usually kind of in the middle of that. He's like, nah, come up with your own thing. Ooh, this, I would like to hear this kind of a thing. Cool. Okay. And then we, we try to accommodate each other. Well, everything sucks. I did it Bill style. I wrote like like the drum parts. I was like, the drums go like this, you know, I was like completely oh, like, cool. Here it is. Yeah. This is, this is my, you know, this is my Magnus opus, you know, or whatever, like <laughs> the one song I'll probably ever actually be able to write in my life. But so that's a funny thing about everything sucks. And so when we're, you know, we're done mixing and we had asked Brett if he wanted to be involved in maybe helping sequence the record, you know, like, Hey, you want to, you, you got any opinions on the, on the song sequence? It's funny. You say that real quick. And in, in the, <laughs> the Wikipedia page for this record, it says sequencing assistance, Brett Gurowitz. Brett <laughs> Gurowitz. credit. Yeah. yeah. We, you know, because I mean, Brett's a smart guy, you know, why not oh, ask sure. a guy who knows what he's doing? And we tend to be like, all just kind of crammed up our own asses, you know, so we don't, you know, it was good to get some outside perspective from somebody who we trusted. Yeah. And, 
And so he and others brought up the idea of putting it first on the song. And I was like, you guys are fucking, you guys are nuts. This song is stupid. <laughs> and like, I'm, you know, I, I thought this song would be completely buried. And if, if it even made the cut, you know, yeah. I, I didn't even expect that. So for, for it to lead the record, much less have the record named that was just, I was just scratching my head. Like, have you guys lost your fucking minds? Like, <laughs> have you listened to this thing? Like, this is ridiculous. It's like a joke, yeah. you know? I Like, I barely scraped together an actual song. And and so it was, it was uh, you know, that was definitely my perspective at the time on it. So it was, it's funny that it, the whole thing played out the way it did because it does actually work as a first song. And I, you know, I wouldn't have thought that it could have. It does. And it works as a first song live. You guys open up, I watched you guys at Brack Rock a couple of years ago and the place just explodes when you go into this. It's perfect for that, you know, for, for firing off the set. We, I'd say we do it almost every time. You know, maybe someday we'll change that, but for now we go with it. <laughs> hey, everybody. Everything most definitely does not suck in the next part of this conversation with Stefan. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after a few words from our sponsors. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Now, back to the show. I want to thank you for taking this lead up. Usually we're already into the nuts and bolts of the song by now, but I felt this was needed uh, to, to, you know, I didn't, first of all, didn't know that this was the first real complete song that you brought to the band. Uh, you call it your Magnus Opus at one minute and 26 <laughs> seconds, by the way, which yeah. I didn't know if we'd have a full episode here. So I kind of wanted to do this lead up with you, but talking about the demo real quick. And I know that we're going to play a little bit of the demo that Chad had sang on. And if you haven't to the listeners, haven't checked out the everything sucks demos. When I found these on YouTube a couple years ago, I lost my mind. It's so cool because for this song in particular, you know, this demo is pretty identical to the album version the guitar solo is a bit different it's panned left on the demo but it's panned right on the album other than that i mean it's pretty much the same song again one minute and 26 seconds standard tuning there's four bars of just guitar panned hard left on the third bar bill comes in kind of like with a, a hi-hat count and then bang you're into verse one <laughs> I call this a verse and a pre-chorus here, Stefan, before the chorus. I, I, don't, I don't think it's all a verse. 
Yeah, I guess that's true. You know, I never really delineated the parts, you know, very well because it wasn't like, okay, the verse goes like this, the pre-chorus goes like this, the chorus goes <laughs> like this. It wasn't really like that. So yeah. much of the music that that I love, you know, Black Flag and bands like that, there really is not exactly a cut and dried, you know, that the, the staples of songwriting uh, are, are not really you know, thought about and, and yeah, we might go, well, yeah, we call this part the bridge and we call this part the chorus. I mean, if it's silly girl, you know, you know where the chorus is, you know, but whatever sure. clean sheets, there's a, there's a defined <laughs> chorus, but some songs, they just really kind of go and they don't really have that. And, uh, you know, in, in everything sucks case, I don't think it has a bridge. I guess it's, I guess the solo is the bridge. The, the solo, the solo is really it. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna read what I consider the first verse here, lyric wise, and I'm gonna have you set this up for us. Got up this morning to make some coffee. Everything sucks today. Prayed someone hired a hitman to off me. Everything sucks today. And I gotta say, the coffee thing with you guys is not a shtick. First of all, before we started talking today, Stefan goes, "Hey, Chris, do you got a second? I need to go make a cup of coffee." I said, uh, "Yeah, you need to make two cups of coffee." <laughs> yeah, if you hear slurping, that's that's what that is. But. So, so like you said, this is kind of autobiographical here. Okay, so the the reference the reference in that first line, I don't know if you know. Maybe I mean, I know I experience this. I'm sure anybody else would too. That sometimes you just wake up and you just feel unease. Like there's just it, like today's just going to be kind of shanky. It's mm-hmm. not, you know what I mean? You don't wake up with a spring in your step and it, you know, you're like, something feels off. It's that, it's that feeling. That's what that line was about. You try to get up and just have a, a normal day like any other day. And, but you can just tell there's something off about it. That's, mm-hmm. that's what that's, <laughs> that's where that line came from or that, that section of it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and basically you're saying, you know, everything's effed, but you're not saying it. You're saying everything sucks, and who can't relate to that? Sometimes everything sucks. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It, yeah. Sometimes everything just kind of doesn't go your way, and it just is, you can't get a break. And one of the, that, that kind of a day where it's just like kind of one yeah. thing after another is just... And know. sometimes the hit-you-over-the-head lyric, which it seems like Brett, you know, Gerowitz gravitated to the simplicity of this, you know? It's punk rock. It's catchy as hell. You were kind of overthinking, like, nah, this is just going to be buried in the record, maybe not even on the album. He's going, no, this is the lead-off track. And so I was mortified because, you know, my <laughs> stupid, dumb lyrics, you know, or whatever. It just, uh, what? You know, but, you know, it took me a while at, because there was another song from the, that ended up not making the record called Shattered Milo. And I'll give you a little bit of context about yeah, the song Shattered great Milo. Song. Great so song. Shattered Milo, the first version that they recorded of that was for the Grow Up record. And then they recorded it again for the Enjoy record. And what? Yeah. They, so there, yeah, there's there's two different versions of it. And I believe that maybe the Enjoy version is floating around out there somewhere, but I've never heard any, I, I, I've heard the grow up version a lot. And I don't think that's made it out there into the world. Not that I've heard. When I first heard that, I was like, holy shit, this song is awesome. So I loved that song and I was absolutely adamant. When Bill said to me, hey, I just got off the phone with Milo 
And I think he wants to do this. The first thing that popped into my head, fuck yes, we're going to do shattered Milo. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, I like I'm, I'm pushing for it. Even if it doesn't make the record, we're recording this one. Cause I yeah. love this song so much. And I wanted, and I wanted it to be there. I, and I was pushing for that to be the opener the entire time we made the record, the whole time we mixed it, mastering everything. I was like this, I'm telling you guys, this is song one shattered Milo. This will absolutely rip. And so when they were like, I think we should use everything sucks. I'm like, you guys are on drugs. Like we have the perfect <laughs> opening song. And, you know, uh, so it was, it was, you know, kind of, but, but after I sat with it for a while, I was like, okay, I just, you know, I, I don't, I don't like come around easily. It takes me a long time to sort of yeah. gestate and chew on an idea like that. But eventually I saw, I saw the merit in it. Another yeah. track uh, that was left off the record. Lucky. I love Lucky, that song too. I know. The thing is with that one, there was a misunderstanding on the three, you know, Bill Carl and I about an arrangement thing that Milo had maybe either not locked down at the time. And we went wow. ahead and recorded it the wrong way. And he was like, uh -huh, let's leave that one off and we'll, we'll revisit that one later. And so we did record it again for cool to be you. And then when we play it live now, we don't do it like either of the two versions that was recorded. <laughs> we do it totally different in a whole different way. And we do play it once in a while. And that is, it, it's a bummer that that didn't make the record because I actually think that was one of the strongest songs. And it, and one of Milo's best, as good as anything he's ever done, for sure. Yeah, I absolutely love that song. And verse one here, uh, after the intro, stereo guitars are in, bass and drums just pummeling you. And then we get into pre-chorus one. Got up on the wrong side of life this morning. Nothing today is going to go my way. Horoscope told me lies this morning. I don't think anything is going to be okay. Today. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, today. And the bass playing here is just uh, off the chain. Uh, got anything about these lyrics here, Stefan? I think that's really, that's just a continuation of the idea that like, you've kind of woken up and realized you're, you're uh, having an off day, you're having an off time and you can just tell like, you know, uh, and, and so you focus, you know, you, you tend to just only see the negative stuff that's in front of you, the problematic things that are, you know, that are in you know, impeding your progress forward or whatever, <laughs> you know, the, the rocks getting, you know, chucked in your day. Like that's, that's really kind of what that's about. Um, and, and that thing about the horoscope, you know, that sort of ties into that. Like really, this is a collection of lines about just having a shitty day. It, that's really all it was. I just, you know, wrote down a bunch of stupid lines. <laughs> a shitty day. And I'll, I'll tell you, 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 Jogged another memory of mine when you talked about that horoscope. My mom, I'd be eating breakfast as a kid, and she'd say, "Did you read your horoscope today?" And she'd slide the paper over to me, and <laughs> and I used to read it, and I always kind of thought I was corny too. <laughs> well, the funny thing though is that I used, I read it, and what would happen is after a while, I found myself looking for 
either the good thing or the bad thing to have happened. And, and after a while I said, I'm not reading this anymore. Like, I'm sure I have caused myself bad days that didn't need to be there because I was like looking at this thing that doesn't even make any sense. So, um, you know, that's all bullshit anyway, but I was just a kid, you know? So I, so I quit reading it at a certain point because I, I would, if I had a frowny face, I would have a shitty day inevitably. <laughs> well, pre-chorus one, after you get out of it, it says today and it launches into the chorus. Today, today, everything sucks today. 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 And it sounds here, Stefan, that the vocals are double tracked in the chorus, but it doesn't sound anywhere else. Do you recall? I don't recall that. I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if they were. That that's mm -hmm. pretty you know, reinforcement of like key lines is, is I think a, a thing that, you know, we're certainly not above doing, you know, like it, it just kind of gives a dynamic because, you know, this kind of music is not always very dynamic as you know, that's just like, wow, you know, the guitar oh, is yeah. full blast. There's no, there's no like quiet part. We're just like the whole time. So this is a way to, to introduce at least some level of dynamic activity into a song. And so I'm almost sure you're right. I'll tell you something on the way to the gym this morning, I cranked this song. My ears were bleeding and I'm like, it just still sounds amazing. 25, 26 years later, it sounds so good, but I did notice uh, that your guitar tone was scratchier during this period. You've gotten a lot cleaner since then. And your guitar tone, I think has gotten bigger because of it. Well, this was a this was a strange way we recorded this this record. We didn't use any cabinets on this record. The re, the uh, the guitar sound on on everything sucks. It's um, a a seventy three Gibson Les Paul that I found right as we were starting to make the record. I got it for a very good price. It had been it was a Les Paul Deluxe that had been modified. Normally, that has the smaller what they call a mini humbucker, and mm -hmm. and somebody had routed this out and put in what I was told at the time were some kind of like Ibanez humbuckers that were like maybe a higher output than, than like say a traditional PAF kind of a pickup or something a little bit, maybe something along the lines of a DiMaggio super distortion humbucker, something like okay. that. And it has a very forward sound that guitar. It sounds, it sounds excellent. It's, it's got a really unique and interesting sound. It doesn't stay in tune for shit because it's a Les Paul, but, but it, but it's, <laughs> but like as far, you know, I have to tune it like every eight strums or something, but like, it sounds very good. And then the amplifiers, I mean, I don't know if anybody wanted to get this techie, but I'm a techie guy. So I like that the amplifiers, there's a JCM 900 Marshall on one side, okay. and a Mesa boogie tri-axis preamp on the other side. The interesting thing is that we didn't use any guitar cabinets on the record. We used a cabinet simulating red box made by a company called Hughes and Kettner called a red box. Oh, and the, yeah. and the red box is something we had discovered it and started using it live. And it, and it, it has a very, very strong focused mid range voice, very mid rangey, <laughs> you know, in fact, and we didn't tell Andy, you know, that we had done it this way. We just said, Okay, you know, he's got the tracks he's got. He's going to yeah. mix them out. He's going to mix. What, what the heck? So it's kind of a unique and odd guitar sound. It's very forward, very in your face. And since Andy Wallace is brilliant, he found a way to sort of carve that, you know, carve the mid-range down and, and make sure he's a bass player, by the way. He's yeah. A, and so he, you know, you'll notice on his records that the bass always holds some, you know, holds a good place on the records. And that is 
one of, I think, the great hallmarks of his mixing is, is that you can always hear the bass. And of course, in our band, the bass is massive. The bass carries most of the melody in our band. So it, it's important. And so he, you know, he carved out that guitar sound in that way and, and, and that the bass would still work. And that's part of that sound. But it is a brighter, probably more overdriven guitar sound. I had been pretty overdriven on Pummel, too. Pummel has a lot of overdrive, for sure. Don't get me wrong. I love the sound. I'm just observing, you know, evolution as a guitar player, and it's been fascinating to watch, but I, I still love the sound on that, and everything sucks. Well, it, you know, it's funny. that That is the record that more people go, that guitar sound. Like, I couldn't tell you how many people have just been like, that guitar sound. I love that guitar sound. Like, oh, it if, rips your head off. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and a lot of it is just because it is a little bit of an unorthodox tone in that it's, it's incredibly mid-range focused, it has virtually no low end in it at all because I don't really need any. I don't, you know, I'm not trying to be metal. Like that's not my scene mm -hmm. at all. So I'm not trying to gung, gung, gung and get down there with the bass guitars. I would prefer to have them, you know, because, because we have an active relationship between the guitar and bass in our band and, and Carl's such a fabulous bass player. I want, you know, we want that stuff to be kind of equal. We're trying to mm -hmm. get a place where both of these things can live. But as you know, distorted guitars, they are one volume, unless you're talking about with a bunch of palm muting where it's gung, 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 like yeah. a metal sound. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe then it might have dynamics, but otherwise a distorted guitar, like the one on that record, it just lays there, you know? And so you have to work around it. You know, I know this isn't a, probably a track you were hoping to get into, but there it is. No, that it tells it, you it, a little bit about, about, you know, just one of the many confluence of interesting things that, that comes into making a song. Oh no. I mean, I, I could nerd out with you on this alone for hours, but we'll, we'll spare, we'll spare <laughs> we'll, the we'll listeners. We'll spare everybody that. There's a <laughs> after, lot of podcasts of me talking about guitar amps, you know, there's plenty after, of that. After, yeah, after chorus one, we go right into verse two. Right girl didn't call, and the wrong one's knocking. Everything sucks today. Flat tire on my car, so I guess I'm walking. Everything sucks today. Yeah, so the first line is just utter bullshit. That's just like a made up, you know, like that could happen, you know, that, that you know, but that wasn't a reality of my life at all. And then the flat tire actually did happen, though. That is real. That, you know, I, that was on my list of things that suck that, that, you know, can really fuck your day up. That's, that's one of them right there. Yeah. But, but, but again, for something that you're saying, oh, it's, you know, it's kind of juvenile as a lyric. I mean, who can't relate to every one of these lines so far? Yeah, we all, yeah exactly. We, we, we've, we've all been there getting into pre-chorus too. You touched on this a moment ago. Taxman came and took my money. Now all my other bills are going to be late. My girlfriend's moving in this morning. Now, I don't think anything is going to be okay. Okay. Now, to be fair, the, the, that was also a fake line, but it was different than that. <laughs> girlfriend's moving out this morning. That's what, you know, I just made that up. It was just bullshit. My girlfriend's moving out this morning. I don't think. Oh yeah, it's out. Sorry, I said in. Well, out. no, no, no. What happened is I wrote it as out. And in that demo with Chad, he changed it to in. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he was just joking. He was laughing about it. And it was just a stupid demo. So it didn't matter. Um, but anyway, so that's that's how it ended up being in. Milo kept it. And uh, and there we go. <laughs> that's awesome. And then it's the same, you know, same, same. Pre uh, I don't think anything's going to be OK today. 
Yeah, and then we get into chorus two, which is everything sucks today, repeated three times. Today, everything sucks today. Everything sucks today. Everything sucks today. Then we get into the solo. The stereo guitars are present here during the solo, but they're tucked down in the mix to make room for the solo. Four bars in, Milo says everything sucks kind of in a very disinterested tone. Like everything sucks. Everything kind sucks, of just, yeah. Yep. And uh, the guitar solo is panned mostly right for eight bars. Uh, Chad coined something uh, when he was on the podcast that had me rolling and had a lot of our listeners in our Facebook group talking about it, had people laughing. It pertains to the, your solo here. Uh, he, he coined you as uh, having a style that's uh, uh, your solos sound like Chuck Berry having a stroke. And... Uh, <laughs> 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 and I, I that that's what's going on here. It's a classic Stefan solo. You know, you're you're playing is, you know, I, I always loved Black Flag. I loved Greg Ginn. I love the atonal uh, stylings of his solos, but kind of took it a little too far for me. I, I was still a pop kid and you kind of blended those two things. It's kind of like you took Greg Ginn and the Beatles and did this more for your solos and maybe threw some Chuck Berry in there. I love it. All the first stuff I learned on the guitar when I was a kid and I started playing pretty young, but the first, the first solo stuff I learned was definitely Chuck Berry. It was all pentatonic, you know, pentatonic yeah. stuff. And, and the first songs I learned how to play on guitar were mostly from the American Graffiti soundtrack track. So, so like Johnny Be Good is one of the first songs I ever learned. And so, you know, there's no doubt that that style of guitar playing is a, a huge factor for me. Well, then, the you know, Greg obviously is a huge inspiration for me. In you know, the and and I love a lot of fusion music. I like a lot of guitar players that sort of go mm -hmm. off the rails. But another another unsung, at least within our generation, my 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 and your generations of punk rock, is earlier the great robert quine who played guitar in richard helen and the voidoids yeah deeply in great you know classic blues you know based guitar playing who would deliberately stab the song i'm going to call it you know during a solo with some just some just like let it happen without worry you know no structure complete just anarchy and 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 find its way back into the solo or you know and kind of in and out of that and that you know equally is is an inspiration and very much so in in the case of everything sucks it is very much like kind of a, just a typical blues based solo up to the point that you mentioned and then yeah. that's exactly what it is. And this is something I do a lot in solos where I just, you know, I'm writing something in the studio. I'm going, okay, I like this part and I like this part. And then I always try somewhere to just go to a place while I'm fucking around with my solo that I don't know what's going to happen. That, it, yes. that it's a 50-50 shot into just completely wrecking <laughs> the whole thing and crashing the car or having it work. And if it does work, I learn something from it. And, and, you know, a lot of times then I go, Oh, whoa, I could totally do that. And it's, you know, and it does fit or, or it might just shit the bed and I have to not use it. 
But in the case of that one, it worked. That's it. That that one, it's you know that and then it goes back into yeah, that part, you know, that last little section is all fairly, you know, fairly stock Chuck Berryisms. But that little section right after he says everything sucks. That's me like just kind of deliberately going off the rails to I don't know where and seeing what happens. Yeah. And like, you know, the first time I saw all play, I I felt like at any moment this could derail watching you as a guitar player. It was just so frenetic and just I'm waiting for it to fall apart, but it never did. And I I mean that in the utmost compliment. It's so thank you. Your your style is is absolutely killer. And I wanted to ask, uh, I had mentioned earlier that it differed the solo on the demo from what happened on the on Everything Sucks, the actual record. Do you remember recording that solo? Did you take a bunch of passes and and, and Andy or, or not Andy, but Bill or someone in the studio said this is the one? And or do you remember just uh, writing this out? No, this was something I would have worked on in the studio. Generally, I don't have anything worked out for solos until until the day I have to. I'll work everything else out hard. I'll 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 you know really define the rhythmic part, you know the rhythm parts, and I'll, I'll really try to do that well. But the solos, I kind of like to do those last minute. And so I'll dive in and mess around with it until I find something I like. And so that would have been, you know, several passes probably, you know, let's say I took six or seven shots at it until I found something I liked and went, Oh, right there. That one feels good. Let's keep that one. And then just moved on from it. That's awesome. Well, right out of the guitar solo, we get into pre-chorus three, which this this part of the song is so strong. It happens three times. I love this part. And that's why I'm, I'm giving it its own title as a pre-chorus. This is the same lyric as pre-chorus one. Got up on the wrong side of life this morning. Nothing today is going to go my way. Horoscope told me lies this morning. I don't think anything is going to be okay today. We get into the last chorus. Everything sucks today three times. And by this time, Bill's just smashing on the on the crash. And it's just bombastic. It's about as loud as it gets. And uh, then it comes to this ab- abrupt end with these dun, 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 dunts that happened. And Then it's over a minute, 26 seconds later, you're just breakneck. You're like, what just hit me? And and I'll, I'll say it again. When I first, this is the first new at that time, Descendants song I had heard. Didn't even know you guys had a record out. This guy had an advanced cassette. You know, this is pre-internet. Just didn't know. We're out in a van touring. I'm, I'm, I'm closed off from the, from the world pretty much. And this guy has this cassette. And this is the first song I heard blown away honored to talk about it today thank you so much absolutely thanks thanks for listening to it and and for having me on it's at least a it's at least a song with a funny backstory <laughs> absolutely is there anything else you'd like to leave the listeners before we break here what what, what you got going on in, in the world of stefan or the, the band touring what's happening so okay on everything sucks you know i i i wrote everything sucks completely and it did inspire enough confidence in me to try to do some more co-writing and contribute more lyrically. And so the song Sick of Me, which is something Mm -hmm. that, that Bill and I worked on together. So that's a mixture of Bill and I's lyrics and my music. 
so on on that record, you know, that was actually that was more or less the second song I wrote, except that was a co-write, you know, with Bill. And you also wrote the instrumental track uh, at the end. Yeah, the grand, track, theme. Gra- grand, yeah theme. grand theme. Yes. Yeah. And and maybe. Maybe there was something else, but I don't think so. I think that it might've just been that stuff, but that's all you were credited with online. Yeah. I think, I I think that sounds right. But to give a little bit of perspective, I mean, in, in, when I was a kid, what I wanted to be was like, you know, like a Lennon or a Fogarty or, you know, I wanted to be a person that sang and played guitar. I wanted to sing and play electric guitar like John Lennon. (laughs) That's what I wanted to do with my life. And um, I found myself hilariously, you know, uh, inept at, at lyrics and I'm not a great singer, uh, but I really enjoyed doing it. So eventually guitar took over and, and it really did take over. I was just, I was really into it and I wanted to be a really good guitar player. And I focused on that and I really kind of put any songwriting aspirations aside. Well, by the time I wrote Everything Sucks, I had, I was like, not over being a guitar player, but I wanted to write music i wanted to write full songs i wanted to to you know because because you watch you see a song like let's take a song like hope or bikeage or get the time or you know yeah thank you any anything that people really really connect with let's say out of our catalog this is a thing where i have been able to witness a, a friend of mine write something that connected to people in a very powerful way Guitar connects to guitar players in a very powerful way and maybe a small amount of other audience members. But I, I've always wanted to be able to do it more like a songwriter would and connect on, on all of those ways. So I have tried and tried and tried and I have made progress in that. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. in a funny way, I found a certain way that I can write things. I'm still struggle very, very much lyrically, but though I am making some improvement, but as you well know, having sang on it, I've, I made a whole record where I at least had melodic ideas and occasional, you know, occasion, you know, I had maybe a chorus, like on the song that Chad, you know, the, this record we're talking about is seven degrees of Stefan Edgerton, which is a, yes, which is, that, uh, that I was honored to be asked to sing for. Thank you. Yes. That Chris, the Chris sang uh, and did a great song of Vinny came up with great words, Roger, it that the whole thing worked out perfectly. You know that record. Um, th- I wrote the 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 melodies to probably you know uh, you know three fourths or maybe even more of what's on there, um, and so I was feeling confident. You know, I've, I grew in confidence melodically and how you know the melody and the music fit together. Lyrically, still some challenge. I got better. I wrote my second complete song. That's the song <laughs> that Milo sings on that record. Um, She's got everything. She's got everything. Yeah, that that was my second complete song. <laughs> so smile. A touch that puts my heart to rest. Something in her eyes. And I already bought the diamond ring. She's got everything. Since then, though, 
I've written a lot of songs, a lot, a lot, a lot of songs. Yeah, so, I've noticed. Um, so now I have, uh, you know, I mean, I'm probably, I've been sitting on probably, you know, a hundred of which maybe 50 are worth a listen, you know, which yeah. is that that's actually a pretty good number. So, you know, for Hypercalf, I wrote, you know, I, I gave a lot of stuff to the band, not all of it complete lyrically, but maybe partial lyrics, that kind of thing. Now we have recorded a whole bunch of other songs where I have some actual lyrics. Like, you know, I think we've already recorded not include not, you know, Bill and Carl haven't done their songs yet. Milo and I Jeez. have done ours. And I think we already have like 30 songs. <laughs> I don't know, like a lot, 20, wow. a, a bunch between us. And, you know, he wrote a bunch with me because, uh, you know, he's like, here, send me some. So I sent them off to Milo and, you know, and I'd have the melody and even like maybe even some vowels and consonants, some sounds that I, that I could hear. And he would fill out those sounds into actual words. And then some of them I have complete lyrics for. Anyway, we're working on a record. I've already recorded most of mine, and I, but I have a bunch more I want to contribute to it already. So, so nowadays, I write quite a few songs. And, and in a few days, I'm going to turn 58. I'm hoping that by 60, I can call myself a fully formed songwriter. That's my goal. <laughs> well, I love it, and I can't wait to hear it. And uh, about the album, Seven Degrees of Stefan Egerton, uh, for those of you, go check it out. Check out the song, Sunny Disposition, that Scott Reynolds sang on Top 5 all songs that was never released by all that song is oh I, I i still put it on very often i love that song yeah the, he nailed those lyrics and the funny nailed thing about those it. lyrics his, yeah. his his harmonies are haunting in that song all perfect. the oohs and the verses yeah and i told him what i wanted it to be about that's the funny thing he, he i i gave him the song with the melody played on the guitar just played single notes you know here's how the vocal melody goes oh it's great and then I said, and here's what I think it should be about. And he just ran with it. And he was like, dude, this was easy. I mean, the melody was already done and I knew what it was going to be about. This All I had to do was fill in the blanks. So, and, and I knew it was going to be called Sunny Disposition. You're a melody. You contaminate the purest part of me. Nobody's flawless. No one gets through without a single scar. I love you that was the only thing I had was that one line. Um, you're on a mission to to wreck my sunny disposition. That was all I had for him. And, and, and he was like, great, Brr, filled the rest of it out himself. He, he had it to me in, I don't know, two days or something. And it was awesome. So yeah, that, that, that's a, that was a fun thing for sure. Amazing song. Check it out. And, and, and once again, thank you so much. I'm being the fan right now as the fan. Thank you. <laughs> and as my friend, I love you. You know that. Thank you so much. That's, absolutely. Thank you for having me, Chris. And we'll, uh, yeah, we'll do this again sometime. Maybe I'll have another song we can do. Hey, everybody, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Stefan Egerton, but don't go anywhere. There's lots more Chris to Makes a Podcast after a few words from our sponsors. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. 
It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon. From Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. Do you like to laugh, geek out on music, and learn all about that band or artist who had that one song back in the day, but then seemed to fall off the face of the earth? If so, you need to subscribe to One Hit Thunder. Together with an array of interesting and hilarious guests, we do a weekly dive into one-hit wonders like Eiffel 65's Blue, Crayshon's Gucci Gucci, EMF's Unbelievable, Delamitri's Roll to Me, Los Del Rio's Macarena, Musical Youth's Past the Duchy, and even Patrick Swayze's She's Like the Wind. So are you subscribed to One Hit Thunder or what? As Desiree would say, you gotta be. And as K7 would encourage, you gotta come baby come and join in on the fun of the One Hit Thunder podcast. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Krista Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is email your best song via MP3 only and a short bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is East of June, featuring Emily Rath on vocals, Dirk Lance on bass, and Kyle Mortensen on guitar. Their new five-song EP, Omens and Signs, is available now on all streaming platforms. Here's a snippet of their song, Believe. Maybe when you want it too much All shades of red will make you color Chris and Chris. Man, on Chris to Makes a Podcast, we're getting the story of the descendants and all from every perspective. We only have one more to go now. We just got to get Carl and we'll have the complete set. <laughs> That's right. And then we'll then we'll go after the other all singers. We'll get Dave Smalley and, and Scott Reynolds at some point and, and have the have have the full Monty. But yeah, it's been great. I love the story in this episode about how they took the advance for all pummel and used it to build a studio that's so smart why weren't we all doing that (laughs) and it's so cool to me that they took all the time to learn recording i mean these guys are the cream of the crop when it comes to recording there's not another band that that less than jake learned more from than the descendants i know i've talked about it a bunch on the podcast i know i've talked about it in the after parties probably to the point where the listeners are sick of hearing me talk about it but it just i can't I can't say it enough with this band, you know, what they did for us, that what they did for a lot of bands. I, I had mentioned that they were the blueprint. They were out there playing these places where, you know, people weren't making money on punk rock in the 80s. There was no, it wasn't a viable income stream. I mean, they were living hand to mouth, tour to tour, album to album. And uh, by the time we were running with them on the Everything Sucks tour, uh, just watching them every now, how they operated, there was no, no fat 
in the operation at all. It was as lean as possible. They they bought box trucks and converted them with bunks, and so they weren't spending money on hotels. And by that point, they were in their early 30s, early to mid 30s. They were tired of sleeping on floors. They wanted their own space. So everything they were doing, we just kind of, you know followed to a T almost. It was it was remarkable. We've said it before. These guys are the textbook example of how to be a long lasting successful band. Spent their money in practical ways. Man, building their own beds in the back of a box truck, that's genius. That's awesome. It was. And, and, and maybe early, early days, I had heard some stories. They were, you know, they were, they were young and a little bit wild. But by the time we had caught up with them, it, it wasn't about drinking and carousing. These guys were just, it was all about the music. It was about the gear. They were in there. They didn't have, you know, fancy technicians and stuff. They had one roadie, Bugface, Dan, Daniel Snow, which you talked about. Dan, Daniel passed away recently. And, uh, but, but outside of Bug, they were their own techs. Bill set up his drums and, and just, again, watching that machine every night and how seriously they took it. It was, it was great. In it for all the right reasons. And that number one reason being the music, be it writing the songs or recording songs. Uh, every right and pure reason to be a musician without all the all the other things. I'm sure there's a little bit of fun had too, but yeah, um, I thought it was cool. He talked about how in that punk rock boom of the mid 90s that people, young people were discovering punk rock and going back and discovering the descendants. It's kind of like they got that second wind of being a band and I, w- I was over here with my hand up being that was me uh-huh. <laughs> that you're you're describing me I was that age I was 14 15 years old and I'm going back and discovering this band that to me was a new band no and it's incredible on that everything sucks tour I mean I was 23 years old 24 maybe and the audience that was showing up was 27 to 30, 27, 28 to 35 years old. Those were all the fans from back in the day, plus plus newer fans. But that was different for us. The, you know, a, a 35 year old to a 23 year old. That, that's a big difference. And it was a different demographic that less than Jake. We were playing to teenagers at that point. I, I can't I can't say again what that tour did for our band. It just we, we would go back to those markers. We played with the descendants and, and our audience had doubled. That's awesome. You guys had the full gamut. You guys are bringing the younger people they were bringing a little bit older than the younger people that's awesome perfect planning on (laughs) i don't know if it was just happenstance and it happened that way but what a perfectly planned tour no i i I, yeah i think that there was definitely some strategy behind it i know brett gurowitz was was definitely heavily involved in the marketing uh that time and and probably had a say in which bands they could take out and, and you know less than jake was selling a few records then so it was i think it was a good pairing how cool is it that the first complete song that stefan wrote became not only the first track on the album, but also the name of the album. That had to inspire some confidence in him. It sounds like it did, right? I think, yeah, I think initially he was just completely like, like he said, what are these guys on drugs? How could this be? What what are you guys hearing that I'm not? But I think it stood the test of time. Like I said, I saw him at a festival in Belgium called Brack Rock a couple of years ago, and they opened with that song, and it's just a full goosebump moment. It's like the place just went bananas when they opened with it. Yeah, he was being a little self-deprecating about the lyrical content of this song. And I know that Descendants and all have some pretty deep songs, but also the fun, relatable, in-your-face punk rock songs are a 
big thing that people love about both bands. Mm-hmm. Well, all the lyrics, like I said, right girl didn't call and the wrong one's knocking, flat tire on my car, so I guess I'm walking. Uh, you know, uh, just who can't relate to just everyday life things? And then the lyric, everything sucks today. And I think that's ultimately what everyone was gravitating towards. Brett Gerwitz heard that. And he's not thinking that this is juvenile or simplistic. He's just hearing this song that's just completely running you over and going, yeah, this is going to open the record. Why not? Something he said that I completely related to is he talked about how he was just playing around. He had this song idea and that line, everything sucks. It just came out. And then he built the rest of the song around that line. I thought to myself, I'm pretty sure that's how I've written every song I've ever written. I'm playing around and then something comes out of me. I don't know what it is. Maybe it just... Uh, phonetically sounds good or something. And then I'm like, Ooh, I like that. And then I base an entire song, all the rest of the lyrics around that one thing that came out of me. Do you do things that way, Chris, or do you come in with a concept? No, all the time. I think a lot of songwriters do. In fact, we've, we've explored that a little bit on this show where sometimes you'll, you'll go to write the real lyrics because the stuff you were just kind of spouting off the top of your head in front of the mic on a demo and, and, and you get in there and everyone's like, well, what was wrong with the demo? That was just a throwaway lyric. What do you mean? They're like, well, no, the, the stuff you wrote to replace it isn't better. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love how we always think we're going to replace those, uh, I'm making air quotes, placeholder lyrics yeah. that aren't going to be beat. Those 99.9% of the time, that is going to be the lyric. You're not going to, you sang that the first time because that's what naturally felt good to sing. You're probably not going to top that. True. Yeah. There, there's just sometimes that spontaneity and that magic. And, and Stefan touched on that. Sometimes just, you know, the, the first thing you throw out there, you, you don't think about it, uh, ends up being, uh, being the magic. Yeah. Especially when you're trying to fit other things in there that are more high concept or more thought out, but then the the vowels and the consonant sounds and everything don't sing as well. And that original thing that first came out of your mouth is usually going to be the best thing. And uh, Chris, I also thought it was funny. I think this might be the first time that anyone talked about horoscopes on, <laughs> on a Krista Makes a Podcast episode. And I think that's really funny because as much as I think that horoscopes are bullshit, I also still read them if they're in front of me. And I'm a Taurus and I kind of feel like when I look at the whatever, the things that a Taurus is supposed to be, I'm like, oh, wow. That's all me. But I don't know. The thing I don't know is are, are horoscopes just self-fulfilling prophecies? Like you read that and then you believe it and then it's in your subconscious and then that makes your day good or bad. Well, I mean, because it's, it's, you read that? I, I think it's kind of like if you, you know, you'll pay 10 bucks to the to the palm reader on the boardwalk at the beach and she looks at you and says, uh, you're going to have a fantastic and prosperous life. And you're like, you feel good about yourself, right? Versus, uh, let me see the lines in your hand. Uh, you're going to hell today. <laughs> right. <laughs> and if if I was reading the palm of the listeners right now, you know what I would I would read on that palm, Chris? What would you read, Chris? That you should join the Krista Makes a Podcast supporting cast at KristaMakes.com. You could support the podcast and get bonus episodes every week plus a giant back catalog hey we talk about this every week and i know that if you're listening to this you're like what i hear ads on here these guys must be raking in the dough that's not real that's not really the case we're, we're uh, you know trying to make ends meet over here at chris to makes a podcast and keep doing this and for the cost of a cup of coffee per month you can support the podcast and get a lot more episodes plus like i said a giant back catalog of episodes all you gotta do is head to chris 
And I could speak for Chris and I speak for myself that we'd really appreciate it. Absolutely. We're a working class podcast. And Chris, if you ever become a professional wrestler, you should be you should be known as the Segway. That'd be your name. The Segway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here comes the Segway. He's got a two by four. He's gonna take everybody out. Yes. <laughs> Please join our supporting cast over at ChrisDemakes.com. We really appreciate it. Give me a follow on Instagram as well at less than Chris D. Don't forget to join the Chris Demakes a podcast Facebook group over. 4,000 members and counting. Thank you for all your support. And want to thank this week's guest, my good friend, Stefan Egerton, for sitting in with us. And we'll see you next week. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello out there. Yes, hello out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together, we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you!